Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about the Trinity. So today is our conclusion of a four-part series on the Trinity. I really wanted to make it in three, because that would just be poetic, but uh, your boy's got too much information that he and he talks too much. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. I don't know how to be condensed sometimes when I'm trying to do a, a more thorough approach at something, so I don't know. Deal with it? Uh, or, or don't. You can just click off and hit dislike. It's fine. But anyway, uh, so today I wanted to bring a reasonable conclusion to our study. So today we are going to be bringing a full conclusion to this whole shebang with a few examples. But first off, I wanted to address one other part. So you ever read uh, in Revelation chapter 4, and it's really interesting because in verse 5, so okay, first off, Revelation chapter 4 is talking about the throne of heaven. And in the throne of heaven, and here in Isaiah and a few other parts, It'll, and uh, Acts 7, I want to say, there is the this idea of Christ. It talks about Christ standing on the right hand of the Father. It talks about the one sitting on the throne who would be the, who would be the Father. Um, so we have Jesus, and in both times we have seraphim in multiple areas, people worshiping and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and all these things, which is they're deifying him. And when you really see the amount of worship and all given to both Jesus and the one on the throne, you start realizing that, man, that is really close to either idol worship or, and, or like really, really such high admiration that comes off as worship, or they must be one and the same. And also we do see the spirit is also present on and the throne in Revelation chapter four. And in verse five, it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, this can be confusing. Now, again, this is where people like uh, Oneness Pentecostals and stuff really just don't understand it. Right here, so seven spirits of God. Well, God is spirit, right? God is spirit. And so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If God is spirit and you say that there is only one, that, the, that you know, God is only one and there is Jesus is God and there is no Trinity, which Essentially, well, your Trinity again is just the label we give it. But yes, Jesus is God. Yes, Fa the Father is God, and yes, the Holy Spirit is God. We're saying this is all God. These are all three distinct persons described as God. So I think sometimes people misunderstand it. But the point is here where it goes: seven spirits of God. So again, this goes into that there's a plurality going on. There's more. There's more depth to God than we want to give him credit for. And so in Isaiah, uh, what was it, eleven? Let me take a look at my notes. Yeah, 11. Okay. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Fun fact for you. Uh, I am not good with Bible references. It is a real problem. I am, I can re I remember the verses. Like I can say the verses by memory very easily. Uh, but remembering exactly when and where uh, drives me nuts. I have a good pastor friend of mine. He somehow, he's a reference machine. It drives me crazy. But maybe you can relate. I don't know. Or you're a genius and not. And so either way, anyhow. So Revela uh, Revelation, Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1 says, There shall come forth... A shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his fruit shall bear fruit, or his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of, uh, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or, decides, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Whew, man, sorry. Apparently I'm struggling with reading today too. 
Anyhow, so the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It says, so the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So right here, he's going, the spirit of the Lord is one. And then the spirit of the Lord has multiple other parts, which would be seven in total, the spirit of counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. So we see all seven present in this verse. And that is what it would be referring to in Revelation chapter four, when he's going, hey, here, right here is the seven spirits of God represented before the throne. So we have the seven spirits of God, we have God, uh, the Father, and then we also know that the Son is at the right hand of the Father. So we have all three of them, and it's, the Bible makes very clear to mention them. And again, the way they all, they all receive glory and honor would be only glory and honor that's given to God, since everyone else would say, I am not worthy. I mean, I just think of the one time the apostles were being worshipped when they brought the gospel. And they were like, no, no, we're, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of this. And then there's times when even angels were like, why do you bow down before me? I'm not God. But yet we never see any, we don't see Jesus and we don't see the spirit ever reject that. In fact, it seems like it's welcome to like, again, a, a certain amount of, yes, I am the righteous one. I am the holy one. So uh, just, just an interesting fun fact to bring in there. I just wanted to kind of add that in there. Now, as far as our reasonable conclusion is concerned, I really want to talk about the misperceptions of Trinitarianism. So we have three truths regarding the Trinity. I'm going to put them up here. So we have, there's only one God. Three persons are described as God in the Bible, and three persons are distinct from one another. Because again, it's not saying God, it's not saying one or the other, and all this. So if you, while I'm keeping this up here, if you remove number one, there is only, if we remove there is one God, well, then we have polytheism, because we, that means we have three persons described as the God in the Bible, and three persons are distinct from each other, so essentially we have three persons as God. And they're all distinct. Well, that's polytheism. But if you remove number two, and we only have, there is only one God, and three persons are distinct from one another, we have what we call Arianism, which is only one of these can be God. So only the Holy Spirit, or God the Father, or the Son can be God. This Arianism is exactly what uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that God the Father is the only God, and uh, the Spirit is his general presence, and that Jesus is merely either, is like the Archangel Michael, essentially, and is this divine creation of God, a higher being, but he's not God. But then if you remove number three, and you only have there is one God, and three persons are described as God in the Bible, you have what we call modalism, which is God acts in different modes, which it also creates a problem because it means God acts in a different mode. It actually basically means God changes. God, God becomes the Son, and he, he changes into this mode, and he then becomes the Spirit and changes into that mode. And essentially, we make God a, we make God a transformer where he... he He's changing all the time. But the thing is, is that well, a lot of times what um, Jehovah's Witnesses will argue against is modalism. And Oneness Pentecostals will be um, trying to argue against polytheism. And none of them have, a, have an understanding that a Trinitarian truth is not, we don't remove one, two, or three. We keep all three of them up and we go, no, there is one God and three persons are described as God in the Bible and these three per persons are distinct from one, one another. These things can all be true at once. So let's bring in, so a reasonable conclusion would be to acknowledge the fact that if these things are true, then God is described as these three, di per, three different persons 
all equal in all equal in value, but different in the way they uh, operate, different in their responsibilities, but they all are part of God. And to sit there and say, well, that's impossible, is to actually, the whole thing is like, how can we as mankind sit there and say, God, your being is so complex, it just can't be true. That doesn't make any sense. Of course, God can have multiple parts to him. Of course, God can have multiple functionalities within, within himself. And why wouldn't he be able to be a father, son, and a Holy Ghost? Why can't he be all three? So, and we see this described, and I think this is actually the most reasonable conclusion. And when you really think about it, um, the fact that there has, uh, when you really get into the fact that, man, for for thousands of years, uh, many, multiple uh the majority, really, of biblical, intellectual, and scholarly, uh, honest theologians profusely reject all modalism they, and polytheism and Arianism, and they all embrace the Trinitarian doctrine when they fully study this out in the Greek and also in Hebrew. It is either that these theological masses are against the entire truth of God and are doing the biggest lie, or they're so foolish that they've become the biggest the, the biggest punchline to the greatest theological joke of all time. And I don't really believe that because in all honesty, I, I, we see where the Trinitarian doctrine really became understood, but it's not one of those things that is necessarily, as I mentioned before, some Trinitarians are pretty extreme. I'm not so much. I don't believe that someone has to believe the Trinity in order to be saved because you only need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know someone's going to say, well, no one comes to the Father but by me. And then, oh, you know, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I'm not debating those things. Of course, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But does the guy who picks up the Bible in the middle of an island in the Pacific, who reads the Bible, who doesn't understand that Jesus and God the Father and all the complexity of the Trinity, if he doesn't understand those things... Um, does that mean he's not saved? I don't believe so. I believe God, I don't, I believe our salvation is based on our faith, not in my intellectual ascension or my intellectual understanding of various things. My intellect can help me understand and have a deeper appreciation, of course, but it's not necessarily the very foundation of which my salvation rests on, because then that my salvation is resting on me. It's not resting on me. It's resting on, my, on, on faith. So anyway, tangent is over on that. But I really think that we that the Trinitarian doctrine is something that's important. And there's another, another aspect to this. One of the biggest objections I've seen a lot of people give with atheists is the fact that God is so haughty and prideful and he's a narcissist who desires our worship. Now, I'm going to eventually do a video series on that topic alone, but of course, that's a complete misunderstanding of worship. We worship God because he is worthy of worship. He doesn't demand our worship because he you know, wants his ego to be flattered. But anyway, one of the biggest things that people say is that you know, he, how can, he is such a powerful God. He is all this stuff. So why in the world would God ever become man? Well, that's actually what makes it amazing. God humbled himself. He did not seek. He did not see that it was... Um, he became sin for us in the form of man. He, he became our propitiation and he walked through the dust, same as you and me. He sweat, same as you and me. He was a carpenter and the, and the Greek there for carpenter mean he basically meant he was a stonemason. He was a really beefy dude, I'm sure. You know, he was a very manly man when you really think about it. And I don't think his deity um, in man, show, I, I don't think in someone can properly make the accusation that they fully understand that G God became man and in the form of Jesus Christ. When you see that, then it's like, wow, God truly humbled himself and then allowed his own 
people who rejected him to kill him and humiliate him. And he did that all so he could take the sin and blame upon himself so that he might have a relationship with us. So that he could, someone could take the punishment as a righteous judge had demands a punishment. He was able to take the punishment and say, okay, it has, the debt has been paid. All I want now is for you to believe in me. So it really, it really creates a strong apologetical point of, no, God humbled himself even before man. And I think that really can help um, get rid of some misconceptions. And I also think that can help people understand the gospel at a, at a more powerful level. Because when I really, truly realized and I thought about, wow, the holy, pure, divine God died for me. He, he became flesh and died for me. That was something that impacted me. That was something that created a, a spirit of thankfulness and wonder. Because I'm just saying, if I was God, I don't think I could do that. That's because I have flawed human pride. So anyway, I, I hope this was helpful. But I want you guys to be careful on what doctrines you follow. Who do you follow? What what teachings do you allow to seep in? Because not all teachings are sound and not all teachings are good. And I'm not even say I have all the answers. But be careful because in 2 Timothy... Four, three through four says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching by itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So I want to encourage you, don't wander off into myths. I truly believe that the Trinitarian doctrine is the most um, scripturally sound position you can have. And I study this, look into it. If you don't, you know, if watching this series has not convinced you of anything, please take the time to dig into it yourself and acknowledge the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that God became man so that, and died for you and for me. So anyway, I hope this video series was helpful. And if you know somebody who maybe you have questions on that, please send them this at like, subscribe, uh, notification bell. Apparently that's more important now than... Uh, subscriptions uh and leave a comment i definitely comments are nice because i like to try to engage with the community who finds our videos so anyhow thank you guys for watching and this has been the church split